Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, listeners. If you find value in this podcast and would like to support this project, please consider signing up on Patreon, where you can support the show on a monthly basis in exchange for some extra content and behind-the-scenes updates. Just check out the link in the description or go to patreon.com forward slash podcast. I would love to see you there. And now, on with the show. Here's what's coming up next on the Liverboard Sailing Podcast. So we left Bermuda and didn't have much wind, so we went north and we kept going north and we kept going north, far too north. Uh, and it was also pretty early in the season. So we had three big low pressure systems that mm. rolled through us and each one was kind of more intense than the last. And like, yeah, it was like two or three days out from the Azores, the last one came through. And yeah, we had sustained winds of about 50 to 60 knots. We saw a gust up to 74. And what we kind of figured waves in the 10 meter range, we took that off the grid file and just kind of seeing our own mast go below the crest of the waves. Welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Annika. On the Liverboard Sailing Podcast, I chat with awesome people who live, work and travel on their sailboats. My guests share inspiring stories and real-life advice about the lifestyle so that you and I can be better prepared for our sailing adventures. In this episode, we talk about some true sailing adventures in cold water locations like Norway, Iceland, Faroes, and Greenland. You'll also hear about some pretty scary storm experiences, and of course, we talk about the boat that has kept the crew safe through all of this. My guests are Josephine and Connor, who split their time working on super yachts in more tropical locations and sailing their own sailboat, an island packet 35. They are an adventurous couple who have made sailing the world's oceans both their career and their lifestyle. Here we go with Josephine and Connor. 
Well, I think a good place to start today is understanding how you guys got into sailing and eventually became boat owners in the first place. Yeah, so I grew up in the Stockholm archipelago and I learned how to sail there. I was a sea scout as a kid and uh, and uh, yeah, and that's how I learned to sail. So I grew up sailing, sailing around the islands in Stockholm. And I think when I was a teenager, I just sort of decided I want to sail and work on boats and be on the sea. So that's what I did. And I ended up working on boats and and later I wanted to, you know, get my own boat and, and cruise and start sailing myself or like get my own boats. But I always had this thought or like this idea of doing it when I retire to like buy a boat and sail around the world. And then I met Connor and he was like, why don't we just do it now instead? Like, why do we have to wait until we're 65? Um, so that was good. That was a good thing. How about you, Connor? Yeah, I have a pretty similar background as well. I also grew up sailing and, and racing. And when I graduated university, I went back to a place I used to uh, teach sailing at. And there happened to be a, like a classic wooden race boat that was there. And I got talking to the captain and he asked if I wanted to work on the boat as a deckhand. And I was like, well, you can do that. That sounds pretty fun. Let's do it. But I think when I was a teenager, I really wanted to like buy a little boat and just go like live in the middle of nowhere on it, like go to some remote island and just like set up shop. <laughs> so yeah, when I met Josephine, one of the first things we both kind of realized is that we had this same dream together and that we really wanted to pursue it. So it didn't take too long for us to start like putting plans together and saving money and um, kind of like the nature of the industry we work in. We both work in the like the yachting industry on the super yacht side of it. It allows you to like go to these really remote locations, um, get the lay of the land. And it also allows you to save enough money where you can buy your own boat at the age of 26 or 27, how old we are, we were when we did this. And yeah, like kind of from the get-go, we wanted to like just quit our jobs for a while and go sailing for a while and just maybe like pick up temp work along the way. And it's just kind of worked out with a job offer we got like two years ago that we can work for 10 weeks at a time and then have 10 weeks off and kind of go back and forth between our boat and the boat we work on. So it doesn't seem to matter what we're doing in life. We always seem to be sailing. Yeah, I mean, it seems like everything surrounds you know, our lives surrounds around boats <laughs> in different ways. We we work on a boat and then when we're off, we're on, on our own boat. But I don't know, it just kind of happened. And then we're very happy with the life we, you know, how it ended up. Well, how we created this life. We're very lucky. Yeah, absolutely. And it's all about boats. And really, one of the main reasons I wanted to chat with you is this sort of a lifestyle that you have that is sort of you know, um, you know, you said 10 weeks on, on, you know, some big super yachts and, you know, then there's some time for your own boat. So it's, it's um, going between these sort of sailing for yourself and then kind of also sailing and then being on the water, but doing it as a work. So, so before we get into all the sailing stuff, and I want to ask you about your boat as well, but what do you actually do during your work? Like, what, what is it that you do on these yachts? So I work as a chief stewardess and Connor is working as a chief officer on the boat we're on right now. So we we work on a private owned 
yacht. We're taking care of guests and doing the sailing part of it. The boat we're working on right now, it's actually, it's a big sail yacht. So we do a lot like we're sailing as well as taking care of guests and doing that side of it. Yeah, like basically for people who aren't that familiar with super yachts, the ultra wealthy own these very, very large boats and they need crew to take care of them and sail them and work them and also provide them with the the five-star service that they expect. So there is a whole industry of people whose job it is to fulfill those needs and roles. It's a little bit separate from what you would consider like commercial sailing, like working on uh, container ships and stuff, but it is kind of the same vein. So I've got my captain's license and everything. I had to go to school to do that. And I picked it up along the way. Um, Josephine's doing like a purser's course, which is like a yacht management thing and accounting course. So yeah, it's actually like a bit of a career path. It's not the easiest job, but it is certainly a lot of fun. And it's good. I think what uh, what's fun with my job is that I could combine, you know, I love service and I love that part of the job but I also love sailing and luckily we could work on big sailboats where I could combine the two things that I like yeah and we're seeing a lot more of our colleagues like kind of do the same thing where they're buying their own boats and spending whatever time they have just kind of like jumping in and out of the industry taking quick like month-long jobs just to like refill their cruising accounts basically but then there's also a lot of our the people we work with who jokingly saying like how could you how could you possibly want to buy your own boat if you're working on one, you know? <laughs> also knowing how much work it is to have a boat or to work on a boat. They're like, I can't believe you want to be on a boat when you're off. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. I guess it talks to or it talks to your love of uh, life on the water and uh, all things boats. Just that you are literally on boats all the time, and yeah, it's a it's a really cool sort of subsection of people who do this. Uh, I used to work in the expedition cruise industry, and I met a lot of people who did similar similar things than what you do. So they'd be on the boats for you know six to eight weeks at a time as you know expedition leader or whatever else, and then do sort of nomadic life the other time. So that is a very cool and travel friendly and travel focused lifestyle for sure. But do you guys work for the same people all the time? Like, do you already know your next thing you're going back? Or is it kind of you start your search all over again? Yeah, we're we're not like commercial uh, contractors who do like three months stints or whatever, and then find a new contract. Uh, we usually take on like long term contracts with the same boats, um, working for the same family. And then those boats will also usually like charter out to charter guests and stuff. So you'll get some some random people coming on board. But yeah, we do long-term contracts. Yeah, so we've been working on this this boat we're on right now. We've been on board for two years. Yeah. I mean, rotational contract, but employed for two years. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That gives you a little bit of security as well, and it's less stressful. So you don't have to always think, like, how do I get in? And what's the next contract? So that's awesome. That's fantastic. But hey, what do you guys do with your own boat in that time? I know you to spend the winter in somewhere beautifully tropical, French Polynesia, New Zealand, Tahiti, all that. What do you do with your own boat at that time? So the past two years, it's we've taken it out of the water for the winter. So last, last year, it was in the middle of Sweden in a little town called Mariestad. Uh, we we tried to drive across through the canal system and got stuck uh, because a bridge was closed. 
And so we had to leave the boat in the middle of Sweden in a shed for seven months. Mm. And we took that time off in the middle to go do some family stuff and enjoy winter. And then this past winter, we took the boat out in Clinton, Connecticut, where it is right now. And because of the pandemic, we actually had to do a much longer stint at work. But that was also to make up for the time off we had last summer to do a big trip uh, through Greenland. But in the past, we've just kind of found the nearest marina and like left the boat there and like hoped it was in safe hands and prayed that it didn't sink, basically. But I do have some friends who've like left their boat in mangroves in the Caribbean or like left them on anchor somewhere. Yeah, there's definitely cheaper ways to doing it as well. We've been lucky yeah. that we could leave it in marinas or up and land when it's been cold. But it's also because we've always left the boat in cold places, <laughs> unfortunately, for the past few winters. But it's also because of the pandemic when we like we sailed to from Florida to Sweden three years ago. And um, then we cruised there for a while. We decided to leave the boat for the winter, the first winter, and then the pandemic hit. And then it kind of got stuck there. Connor couldn't get into Sweden. You know, it was a big deal for a while. But now, hopefully, I mean, we'll see. We're planning to bring the boat maybe south to the Bahamas area again, or like the Caribbean. So maybe we'll leave Gatita in the mangroves in the future. Who knows? But it definitely... Gives you a bit of anxiety when you're off the boat and you're just thinking, oh, I wonder if the bilge pump stopped running or somebody broke into the boat or something like that. I know there's all these great alarm systems you can get tagged into your phone now, but we don't have any of that. So we're just going on good faith when we leave it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. I'd be a nervous wreck not knowing how the boat is doing or where is it and all that if it's not somewhere safely on a boat yard but uh let's actually talk about your boat because it's an if i remember correctly it's an island packet 35 and uh island packets are actually something i'm really interested in potentially purchasing uh in the future even though i've never actually been on one but for some reason they just speak to me so i'm so happy to have you guys on board on on the podcast so we love our island packets Fantastic. That's exactly what I want to hear. We probably looked at like 30 boats, mostly in the Florida area because we were based in Miami at the time. And when we finally went on board the island packet, it was immediately like, oh, wow, yeah, we could live on this. Like, this is perfect. Yeah. It's big and spacious inside. The designer was like six foot five. So it's, it's definitely livable. And they just built it like properly and to endure the conditions that we wanted to put it through. Yeah. And I think that's really what I felt for the first time we came on board, you know, walking on board and you feel like this could be a home. And for us who don't have another home, that was very important, like to have a safe and good boat, blue cruiser, uh, blue water cruiser, but also somewhere like spacious and yeah and homely um and that was really you know the the first the first feeling we we got coming on board yeah i think if you're going to buy a boat to be a cruiser to be a liveaboard on like that is what you need to consider island packets really are not famous for their performance or their speed or their upwind ability but they are great to live on if you're going to buy a day cruiser or something or just something to have in a harbor you want to go another direction But if you want to go to really far-flung places, cross oceans, and feel safe and get there, the island packet is the way to go. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 
Oh, that's fantastic to hear. And you find the 35 feet, which kind of seems like a relatively small boat as a liveaboard. Do you find that it's still a good, decent size? I've seen some of the 37s. I think they're quite similar in in their layouts. So when we were looking for the boat, or like when we were planning to buy boats, we dis- I think we like thought that we didn't want bigger than 35 foot because we wanted it to be easy to maneuver for one person because we thought it was just going to be the two of two of us. So if something would happen to the other person that like, you know, one person could single hand boat also within our price range, like we couldn't really afford a bigger boat than 35. Yeah. I think the, the 35, like interior wise, it has oh, yeah. a, like a full forward cabin and a full aft cabin. It doesn't have one of those like three quarter boats. So that was important for us, especially if we're going to have guests on board. We wanted to give people their own room. And then it also has a pull-out couch, basically. So you can actually sleep like six or seven people in there. So I think 35 in that range is good. And then like Josephine was saying, to be able to handle the sail plan and be able to handle it double-handed, I think it works out pretty well. We've seen a few other ones. The 37 is just like a little bit bigger version of it. Our friends in Iceland have a 44, Mm. I think it was, or a 40. And that is, it seems like a 60 foot boat inside compared to ours. Yeah. And I think, and now after having this for a few years, I think obviously we wouldn't mind, you know, getting a bigger boat. (laughs) (laughs) 35 is the smallest we would go. But like Connor was saying, it is such a spacious boat and we have two two cabins that you can close off for when we're having friends and family staying on board. So that makes a difference. Yeah, I think it's it feels like a 40-foot boat inside a 30-foot hull or 35-foot hull. Yeah, that's pretty good. And I think the two cabins, like two actual proper cabins, is almost pretty rare in like other boats of that same age, like late 80s, early 90s. I've seen a lot of 38-foot boats from the same time frame that have like the pilot berth situation. There's no door. And I'm like, what is this? Like, I know I went to cabins and just the fact that they've put like two full cabins on a 35-foot, I was like, come on, it can be done. (laughs) (laughs) So you have done some really cool Atlantic crossings uh, that you mentioned there. And I think if I remember correctly from doing uh, a little bit of research on your Instagram account, you're in 2019, your sailing route over many months, obviously, went from like Florida to Bahamas and then the Bermudas, Azores, UK, Norway, and initially or eventually to Sweden. So actually, maybe before we get to the actual crossing, I would love to hear your thoughts and experiences in the Bahamas because you mentioned that you might go back there. So was that like one of the nicer cruising grounds that you came about? I mean, obviously, it's one of the warmest that you've been yeah. recently. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, we we have spent some time in the Bahamas for work. And it was amazing to go back on our own boat to be able to actually explore all these places and the islands and, and really enjoy the Bahamas and the islands on our own. Mm-hmm. And it's such a great spot to for, for cruising, there's great trade winds and it's not much waves or, you know, it's very good cruising as well as heaps of beautiful islands and beaches and things to do everywhere and good snorkeling spots. And yeah, it's truly like a cruiser's paradise to be there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I especially compared to the South Caribbean, like I love Antigua and St. Martin and that neck of the woods, but 
the cruising is much more forgivable in the Bahamas. Like Josephine was saying, there's no like trade wind swell rolling through there constantly. You're not doing these big windward passages trying to get from island to island. And you have thousands of isolated islands and you can choose anywhere you want to go, basically. And it's all super accessible. It's like a two-day sail from Florida to get there. You can just fly into Nassau easily if you're going to have guests or friends come or whatever. And it's also a lot of good like support there. There is a big cruising community. So if something breaks, you can very easily fix it mm. or get the part quick enough to fix it. Also, another great part about our island packet, it's a shoal draft. So we can sneak way, way into these little bays and inlets and get very close to the beach and anchor up and just enjoy life there. I mean, you yeah. can like spearfish, you can live off the water there. It's amazing. Yeah, that's a good point about the island packets. What is the draft? It's like four feet or something, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I think four. it's like 4.3. But then we've got the swinging centerboard. And when that's down, it's like seven feet altogether. Um, but yeah, we hardly ever use it anyway. So Yeah, yeah. Okay, that sounds uh, just about as magical as everybody else has described the Bahamas. So I'm still waiting for somebody to say like, you know what? I wasn't that impressed by the Bahamas, but uh, no one said that yet. <laughs> Let us know when that happens. We have some contrarian friends who don't want to go to the Bahamas simply because everybody else goes there. But in all our traveling in the world, is there's a reason people go to these places and everybody goes there. It's because they're beautiful and they're worth it and they're worth seeing. Yeah, exactly. That is literally the only downside that people have mentioned. Like, well, you know, kind of everybody is there, but, you know, everybody is there for a reason, like you said. Exactly. And it's a great place to start out. Like you can really feel safe there sailing wise um, and really get to know your boat and yeah, like just have a blast. Exactly. Yeah. It sounds like a great place to kind of start learning. Like I would love to just go there, you know, start from Florida and then, you know, just spend a lot of time in the Bahamas and get familiar with the lifestyle and all that. It sounds like the uh, perfect place to do that. Absolutely do it. So you crossed the Atlantic or you've crossed it kind of both ways. and. Uh, I was browsing your Instagram uh, and going back, you know, way back uh, in, in time, but I was reading about your sort of trip description um, when you crossed uh, from Bermuda to the Azores. And I think you came across some pretty bad low pressure systems and saw like ridiculously big waves. And I would love to hear about that experience. Like what, you know, facing this kind of weather on a fairly small boats as ocean crossings go. So how was that even as amazing as island packets are? Oh, it was it was interesting and intense. But so we're used to crossing on really big boats and going very fast and have full internet all the time. And if a big weather system's coming, you can get out the way. But on a 35 foot boat, that's not really an option. So we left Bermuda and didn't have much wind. So we went north and we kept going north and we kept going north far too north. Um, and it was also pretty early in the season as we tried to get to Norway uh, for their short summer. So we had three big low pressure systems that mm. rolled through us. And each one was kind of more intense than the last. And like, yeah, it was like two or three days out from the Azores. The last one came through. And yeah, we had sustained winds of about 50 to 60 knots. We saw a gust up to 74. And what we kind of figured waves in the 10 meter range, um, we took that off the grib file and just kind of seeing our own mast go below the crest of the waves. But yeah, a big testament to the Island Packet's ocean going abilities. She's got a massive stern and every huge wave came, we just got lifted up with it. 
we had a corner of our Genoa out and our storm jib, and that was it. And we were doing about eight or nine knots. So that storm lasted for about 36 hours as it rolled through us. Um, yeah, we, we actually, even heaved too. Yeah, we got tired of being away for, for a few that hours long. during the night <laughs> to catch up yeah. on some sleep. But it was also the third low pressure in a row. But, um, you know, it's just sort of building slowly. And I don't think we ever felt scared or anything, especially especially being on this boat. I was never afraid that the boat wasn't going to make it and anything. You know, I was very safe on board. I was maybe worried that one of us were going to hurt ourselves. So, you know, because it's big waves and it's rolling and, you know, but the boat felt really safe and yeah, it's just when it's broaching maybe on top of one of the big waves, you know, you can feel <laughs> it in your in your stomach uh, holding on. But besides that, I mean, yeah, it was um, it was an experience for sure. Yeah. Pretty intense, but... but she felt... loves a bit of wind. That's when she really comes into her own. Yeah. It doesn't do well <laughs> under 15 knots, but maybe 50 knots is a bit much. Yeah, there has to be a happy medium there somewhere, you know? <laughs> but it us well for the next trip over because i mean going the wrong way the viking route from norway to america it was horrible weather the whole time but we were used to it at that point yeah it felt like great weather compared to that i mean if you had if you don't get waves the size of your boat then you know <laughs> it's all smooth sailing right <laughs> ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing mint mobile unlimited premium wireless ready to get 30 30 ready to get 30 ready to get 20 20 20 ready to get 20 20 ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month so give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, oh man, yeah, that sounds like quite the experience. Apart from those low pressure systems, was the Atlantic crossing to Europe otherwise pretty smooth sailing or did you have any other issues? So it was a great trip uh, besides those low pressures. We had a few days of no wind in the beginning coming out of uh, Bermuda when we got kind of got stuck on the doldrums. So that's when we started heading no- north. But uh, besides that, it was a great trip. Yeah, it was really fun. Um, My dad got to join for the Bahamas to Bermuda leg. Her brother came for the Bermuda to the Azores leg. And then my brother joined in England and came to Norway. So it was a really good chance to like rebond with our families and stuff. Like being at sea is a very intimate thing. You're spending a lot of time together with nothing else to do. Uh, so that was probably like the most I had seen my family in years as mm. well, which was really, really nice. You became a lot closer with your brother. Yeah, I mean, it was a great experience. And, you know, 
enduring those storms together. It really, <laughs> you know, creates a special bond. Yeah, you've gone through a shared experience there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, we had like one breakage. Our autopilot was probably like 20 years old and, and broke about halfway through. So we were hand steering for a lot of that trip, which took its toll. So we mm. really wish that we had uh, a wind vaned autopilot for that. Yeah. Because they work very well in heavy weather and heavy wind. And it was also lucky that, that we had some other crew members with us. It was four of us in total. And um, I mean, it's hard to hand steer just two people the whole way. <laughs> yeah, for that amount of time. Yeah, that, that would get real tiring. And I was going to ask you about like, did you have all the equipment or did you feel that you had all the equipment that you needed, but sound like uh, a little bit of extra, or at least a working autopilot would have been great. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. <laughs> When we got the boat, we kind of immediately put a lot of money into building it up to be a blue water cruiser. The People who had owned it before us were just using it as like a back and forth to the Bahamas boat to Florida. So it was pretty bare bones inside. So we mm. installed water makers. We got every piece of safety equipment we could get, new rigging, got new electronics, so much mm. different stuff. So we kind of felt that we were like ready for it. We knew what we needed. We both crossed the Atlantic like seven or eight times before this. So we knew what we were getting ourselves into. I would have actually got the unlimited plan for Iridium Go because you burn through data downloading grip files much faster than you think. That's a good <laughs> tip. Yeah. All right. So go for the whatever there's the biggest plan. If there's unlimited, just get it so you can get all the files you want. And don't be surprised because it's basically just dial up internet at sea. So <laughs> be ready for that. So you mentioned that then you came back through the Viking route to so left Sweden and Norway and went to Iceland, Faroes, Greenland and Canada and then eventually the US. So it's obviously a bit of a less common route than, you know, the southern route with the nice trade winds. So um and I imagine there is a reason for that. So <laughs> did you need to do any upgrades or anything? Because it sounds like your boat was pretty well set up on the first crossing already. So were you kind of ready for this? Was there anything that took you by surprise? You mentioned the weather was kind of <laughs> not great for that. So yeah, I mean, we yeah, like you said, we we kind of had everything all the upgrades already, but we did install a diesel heater for the cold weather. <laughs> so that was definitely a well worth upgrade on the boats before we left. Yeah, the Webasto Evo Top 4.0, I think it is. It's a very good heater. Did a great job heating the cabin up very quickly after our cold night watches and stuff. Mm -hmm. I think we could have put in a bit more insulation between the hull and, and the void spaces because we did have a lot of condensation issues with the very cold water and then warm temperatures inside the boat. But our kind of like inspiration for doing that trip all together was we met... Um, Our friends from Sailing Naked in Germany, randomly on the dock in Bergen two, three years ago, when they were on their way to do that trip. And they were like, yeah, it's actually really short distances between all these islands. You can totally do it. And we had never even considered it. Mm. So after that, like, like wheels started moving and we decided like, yeah, we got to get back to America. We want to go back to the Caribbean, the Pacific. Mm. So Let's go that way. And we we already, yeah, and we already done the southern route so many times on the boats we've been working on, different kinds of sailboats and boats. But 
yeah, we really wanted to do something new and explore some like some new areas. And um, yeah, a few years of research and preparing, and then there was it was such a great trip. So happy we did that. So, what's the season for that crossing? When do you do the crossing this way to North America? It depends. So I don't know. Do you remember that like Viking replica ship a few years ago that did the trip, and they ended up in like the Great Lakes on purpose? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so I met one of the guys in um, uh, Gothenburg, and he said they did the trip in March because that's when the prevailing winds are actually going the right direction. So if you're going from Norway to North America in the summer, you're going upwind the whole way. But I think the biggest decision is the ice limits. So you need to keep an eye on the ice charts. And if you want to visit Greenland, especially South or East Greenland, you just have to make sure the ice is clear. So getting to Greenland around July seems to be a pretty safe bet. That's usually when most of the ice is cleared out. Yeah, and it also depends on we went pretty far north on the east side, on the east coast. So it kind of of Greenland. So it kind of depends on where you want to go in Greenland. Uh, on when the ice melts in the different areas too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's very true about the ice. That it's a very real thing uh, up on those latitudes. And uh, I know you eventually come across some challenges on this passage. But before we get to the tough times, tell me about all the good stuff because these destinations on this route, you know, there's Iceland and Faroes and Greenland, and uh, even you know some of the more remote parts of Canada. They kind of sound such absolutely exotic and kind of magical. So what would you say were the highlights of that trip for you? Wow, it's it's such a hard question. With yeah, there's so many. There's so uh, many. We'll give you some examples. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, like you mentioned, just just the fact of like sailing to these places and getting to to see them and explore them by boat is a very different experience than coming in as a tourist, like to Iceland, for example, just by coming in by boat, it's amazing. But um, when we came in, first of all, when we came into the Faroes, for example, we by chance like ended up there during a week of Olavsaka, which is their like national holiday. So we <laughs> had this big celebration for a few days where we got to know got to meet a lot of the locals and got to celebrate with them. And it was this big festivals. It was amazing time. And coming into to Iceland, um, we actually left our boat for a few days and rented a car to drive around because it's such a big island. <laughs> we wanted to explore some more. And that was a great experience too. And then, yeah, Greenland itself, just just coming in and the amazing landscape, amazing culture, and the people we met as well. I mean, yeah, great experience. Yeah, I think with Iceland, the beauty of it is the natural beauty there. Uh, we did meet some very friendly Icelandic people in the Faroes, and they uh, helped us out with birthing there. But just driving around that island and seeing like a volcano and a glacier and a desert all in the same day. That's pretty incredible. Um, when you get that far north, the wildlife gets amazing. I've never seen so many whales in my life. Mm -hmm. I mean, we like drove right up to sperm whales, logging on the surface. Mm -hmm. Every day you'd see pod after pod of pilot whales or some other kind of cessation just jumping. And you never see that in the middle of the Atlantic. Like it is a void zone. 
And then, yeah, coming into Greenland, like Josephine was saying, it is a really different cultural experience. Like a lot of the tourist locations around the world are like very homogenized and similar in a lot of ways. But Greenland like truly is a unique, unique place. And East Greenland, especially, it, it doesn't have as much of the Danish influence as South Greenland does. So you're walking into a culture that's like only just experienced the 21st century and is like really dealing with that fact and still living off the land and still hunting seals and whales and like trying to maintain their way of life in this incredibly harsh environment that's trying to kill you at all times Mm. and surviving and thriving. So I think also the first time you see an iceberg, you are just completely breathless. Mm. Like it's this massive behemoth of a thing floating in the (laughs) middle of nowhere in complete silence and fog. And then by the end of the trip, you get really annoyed with them because they're in your way and they're like a navigational (laughs) hazard. But in the beginning, they just blow your mind. Absolutely. Yeah, I must say like our camera rolls are, you know, mainly 99% photos of icebergs. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They're so beautiful. They like take your breath away. Yeah, no, they really are. It's fascinating sometimes looking at ice. I used to do a bit of travel, uh, work travel to Antarctica. And, uh, you know, people would ask me like, well, what was the, you know, coolest thing? And I, you know, they just wouldn't believe me when I said like, well, you should have seen the ice. I was like, you're from Canada. Didn't you see enough ice at home? <laughs> like, no, but the formations, they're like sculptures. They're really cool. Yeah. And there's so many different types as well. And they all have this crazy history of how they were made and what they're doing and the life cycle of it. We were going up this one fjord near Tasalak and we went by this massive iceberg that was just kind of sitting there. We thought, oh, that's a pretty cool iceberg. Look at that. And maybe about five or 10 minutes later, we hear the rumble and the whole iceberg flips over, explodes and closes off the entire fjord. I mean, if we had been five minutes slower, we would have been destroyed by that thing. So that was a pretty quick appreciation of do not get close to the big ones. Yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's scary. And, uh, you know, I know you had some challenges on this trip, not iceberg related per se, but for anyone who hasn't followed you guys on Instagram, what did you come across on, on this trip? Okay, so the first one was on the way from Norway to Iceland, our rudder stock started vibrating and taking on a little bit of water. So we hopped into the Faroes and went to the lovely fishing shipyard in Torshaven, and they picked us up with their smallest crane, and we dropped a rudder. And it's a really good shipyard, so if you're ever in the Faroes and you need something done, go there. They were able to machine us a new bearing in like two hours, and mm. we put it all back together and got back to the festivities of all of Suka. So that was the first kind of issue done and dealt with. Mm. Um, the next one, uh, it wasn't our cutlass bearing, but like where the cutlass bearing attaches to the hull, that seal had like crumbled and started taking on water when we were on the, like halfway down the east coast of Greenland. In the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it, really the middle of nowhere. Mm. I think the closest like actual haul out facility was either back in Iceland. Yeah, or in like Labrador or Newfoundland. So it was a long way to go. So we were traveling with another boat, uh, SV Creaky, with Brendan and Carrie, and we all put our heads together and decided that, all right, well, if we drive the boat up on land at high tide, we can hope to repair it as the tide drops. Yeah, we careened the boat in Skulldugan Fjord in Greenland and pulled the rudder shaft, uh, pulled the cutlass bearing out, basically shoved a bunch of 5200 in there, bolted it all back together, 
all within the space of about two hours, three hours as the tide was coming back up. And yeah, it's still holding, which is great. (laughs) (laughs) And we were so lucky that we were traveling with them. I mean, we would never have been able to do that operation by ourselves. And also they kind of got us the courage to do it as well because we were thinking about it during the day as we were sailing down and we met them in the evening at the anchorage and we were very worried obviously because we were taking in water and we could hear the um the bilge pump keep getting like running yeah faster and faster yeah Yeah. and uh, our hearts were definitely in our stomach that was a horrible day at sea and we were emotionally drained (laughs) so luckily they were like encouraging us to do this crazy operation as well to careen the boat in in the middle of nowhere of greenland but i mean it went very well and i'm I'm hoping that this would be the worst and the craziest experience we've ever had and will have on our boats. And it's kind of a testament to people if you're cruising up in those parts of the world, like prepare to get creative when something goes wrong because something will go wrong up there. Every day is a new adventure up in the Arctic and like nothing will prepare you for it until you've been there. Yeah, absolutely. And what another good thing about island packets, you can, you can just go and careen them on wherever exactly. oh yeah the old full keel yeah just set that thing right down in a seaweed bed and exactly we managed to find a nice big boulder to like prop it up against as the tide dropped and that worked as a good jack stand yeah but yeah she was she she handled it well it was an adventure for sure <laughs> yeah when i first saw the photo on instagram i was like oh my god what happened it's like oh wait they they did this on purpose <laughs> Yeah, we had so many people contacting us like, well, you're heroes and crazy, you know, <laughs> like, yep. <laughs> well, we got to do what we got to do to save the ship, right? <laughs> and we told some locals about where we had done this a few days later when we got down to uh, like Prince Christensen and Apolitok in the southern tip. And they're like, wait, you were there and you didn't see polar bears? That's like the most polar bear invested part of Greenland apparently at this time of year. <laughs> So we were a bit gutted we didn't run into any of them, but maybe it was a good thing. Yeah, especially when you're stuck on land with the boat. Yeah, with a boat that you can't take offshore. Yeah. <laughs> so you didn't see any polar bears on your whole trip? No, no, we were a little bit sad about that. I mean, you know, pretty lucky we didn't see one, but yeah, pretty sad. Yeah, I hope it's not a testament to climate change and stuff like that. I hope they were all just in their summer homes up north mm-hmm. or were just very elusive, but... We actually saw more hanging polar bear skins on the front doors of the Greenlandic people than we did mm, actual the houses. bears. Mm. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's part of the culture there for sure. So it is interesting, but uh, hopefully the populations are there fairly healthy still and uh, gives you another reason to go back to go see some polar bears from a safe distance. What about the uh, the weather and the ice conditions that you mentioned, apart from exploding icebergs, but you know, all these smaller bits and pieces that are floating around, are they, were they an actual concern or more of an inconvenience? Bit of both, really. There was no sea ice at that time. So all the ice was coming from like decaying icebergs or coming out of the big fjords that were iceberg producing fjords. And yeah, one evening, we were probably like 20 miles offshore and we thought that would be enough space between us and one of these fjords that was pushing out the ice but it wasn't. And we had to divert and keep going further and further out to sea until finally we just decided to drive through it. But it was right at sunset and going into darkness. And 
you know, there was a bit of a swell. So you're heaving and rolling through all these icebergs, which range from the size of like a lighter to the size of like a school bus and then actual icebergs. And you're just like going one or two knots with somebody standing on the bow, pushing these icebergs out of the way. Mm. And you're just deciding which ones are safe enough to hit and not which ones to avoid. I mean, besides driving through this ice flow, because it was a very special moment, but um, if you have a radar and keeping good lookout, then you can easily see and dodge all the icebergs and, yeah. and the growlers along the way. So it's, it's a little bit scary at night, obviously, when it's dark, because you don't really catch all the, the growlers, like the, sm- the smaller icebergs on the radar. But um, yeah, this ice flow we went through, that was a bit of a scary moment, too. Mm-hmm. However, at the end of it, we we saw the first the first northern lights for the trip. So you know, it went from like being a very scary moment driving through all this ice to this most beautiful, beautiful um, moment. Yeah. yeah. The other thing is, I guess when you're at anchor and you're sleeping, and growlers just come and drift into you and knock on your hall and say hello. But otherwise, you can kind of just like if you do get stuck in a little flow of ice, you can kind of just sit and wait for the tide to pass and then you'll work your way free. Or if you're in a fjord and the weather or the water is calm, you can just kind of drive through through slowly. But you'll definitely want a hull that's very thick or made of metal. So if you have something fiberglass, go for something built like pre 90s, (laughs) (laughs) which is our boat. good. Yeah, exactly. Just go get your Allen package. I'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. Well, obviously, you mentioned uh, what's coming up next for you is some more warm weather sailing. So how long are you going to be on your boat now? And uh, do you have any any particular plans that you want to do? Or is this going to kind of set sail and see where you end up? So we are currently just working on the boat and getting her back to shape after the big trip last year we won't have time to sail this summer unfortunately because we're going back to work in a in a few weeks but we are hoping to sail her down to florida with the bahamas area in the autumn or the winter after the hurricane season we have discussed maybe taking the intercoastal on the way down but we're not sure it might be too much motoring (laughs) it would be a cool trip but maybe on another boat the arctic still calls every once in a while we have the conversation like maybe we should go back up like we're kind of on the easier side of it now we could pretty quickly get up to nova scotia up to labrador and newfoundland and go check out maybe baffin island or something but i think if we could do that that'd be a next summer plan exactly that would have to be during the summer and unfortunately that won't be this summer I don't think we're done with the cold weather, though. It no. is truly unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really cool that you are fascinated by the cold weather. Obviously, you get a lot of the warmer weather, I guess, uh, with your work life. So that kind of, it's a nice balance. And uh, maybe, Josefina, you're, it's your uh, Swedish uh, heritage that pulls you into the cold, cold weather. But uh, yeah, I think Newfoundland would be really cool to sail in and all the lesser of the maritime Canada and uh, all that so there's lots of cool things to see there as well yeah we had to rush through it last year so we'd really like to go back and check out Bredora and like uh, Bay of Islands and stuff and and really get to enjoy that part of the world yeah and there's not as many people as in the Bahamas for some reason (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> that is true. I can't imagine why not, but so it seems to be. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, guys, thanks so much for chatting with me today. I really appreciate you taking the time from your boat work schedule. Where can people go follow your uh, war more Arctic adventures uh, that are coming up and that have been? So yeah, both our Facebook and Instagram accounts are called Adventures of Gatita. So both's called Gatita. It's Spanish for kitten. And it's G-A-T-I-T-A. Yes, Adventures of Gatita. That's great. And I will link that down below uh, in the description as well. But thanks so much. Well, thank, thank you, you so for having much. us, Annika. It's been a pleasure. We look forward to hearing it. <laughs> Well, you guys have heard me say it before, but now I really want an island packet. What a great chat with Josephine and Connor. I loved hearing about cold water sailing for a change. If warm weather sailing is more your thing, then tune in next week as we go back to the Caribbean on a very different kind of adventure. As always, thank you for listening. I'll see you again next week. Bye for now. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.